0: Welcome to the Principal Podcast today. This is Xane Anderson. I have the honor of having Daryl Rogers with us as a guest today. Daryl is a speaker, an author, a family recovery coach living in North Carolina. And as a family recovery coach, he specializes in working with parents of children struggling with substance use disorders, if I'm saying it correctly. And he also serves on the state advisory board of the North Carolina Mothers Against Drunk Driving And I'm just really proud to have him on the show today. Daryl, thank you for being on the show with us today. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us a little bit about uh, what your mission is now. So
1: um, just starting out with just kind of a summary, it um, it was uh, 2014 that uh, my oldest son died in a wreck. It was uh, drug-related or there was drug impairment involved in the wreck. And, uh, he had struggled with addiction for about a year and a half prior to that, um, had been to treatment and come back. And, um, well, um, you know, just after, after his, after losing him, um, I started, I didn't know anything about addiction before this had happened before this happened to us. And, um, was just really caught off guard by it. Never experienced anything like that in our family. So um, I didn't know anything about it and I wanted to try to get educated on it. So I began to search and, and, uh, and in the process of doing that, I, I authored a book about my son's life and what that was like living through that. And, and then I made a short film um, that I've used some when I go into schools to speak is 23 minutes long. And um, uh, anyway, uh, and then and then I, I got involved with Mad Pretty on uh, pretty early on Mad uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And so I've just been doing since uh, about 2016 prevention speaking, and then and then started working with uh, with parents who have a child who's addicted to drugs or alcohol. It's kind of how I've progressed over, over the last few years. Wonderful. What was your favorite thing about your son, Chase? Mm, Good question. Uh, I would have to say his sense of humor. (laughs) He, uh, he was a quiet, easygoing kid. And, um, but he had this kind of odd sense of humor and he liked to tease people a lot, you know, and, um, he would say things that would really catch people off guard and, and, uh, I've had some people um, that have reached out to me and and told me, you know, Hey, I knew Chase. And then they started telling me some stories about some of the funny things he did and said, and I'm like, yeah, you know, Chase, you know? So yeah, I would say that was
0: my favorite thing. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Let me ask you this, Daryl, how has the experience of losing your son changed you? Hmm.
1: Well, um, changed me in a lot of ways. Uh, I think before, before all of this happened, I was, I don't know, I I guess judgmental is not the, the exact right word, but I, you know, for lack of a better word to describe how how I felt, um, I was a little bit, You know, when it comes to people who had drug or alcohol addictions, I was kind of uh, I didn't understand. And um, so, yeah, I I mean, for lack of a better term, I, I guess you'd say judgmental that I was looking at them as being people who just weren't good people. You know, instead of sort of separating their, the choices, some of the choices and not always necessarily the choices, but it's the circumstances that they found themselves in from the person. Um, and so that's changed. Um, I think I've mellowed out <laughs> quite a bit. I'm still, you know, I, I'm, I still have um, uh, I've always had a little bit of a temper. But, uh, it's usually, I'm one of these people that very easygoing, I get along with everybody and I love people, but sometimes I could get set off, you know, and, and, um, I've gotten a lot better at, uh, at, uh, keeping that under, under wraps, uh, or not keeping it under wraps, but just, I don't get, I don't get, um, triggered <laughs> as easily anymore. Um, and, and really in terms of our, uh, younger son, he's doing quite well in our, um, I would say our relationship has improved a lot, uh, since the, the death of our older son, because, uh, uh, sort of was still going through some things with the younger one, even after our older son's death and that, uh, he and I are a lot more alike. Chase was easygoing, um, well, actually, in, in Chase and I, that that part of our personality is a lot alike, but I, I can be stubborn, and our younger son, really stubborn, and, you know, when I say that, I don't mean that in a bad way. It is actually some very good, um, it, there there's some very good character traits in there, um, but um, he and I would butt heads every now and then, and that whole masculine thing, you know, the testosterone, you know, like, you're going to show me respect, and, and he's coming back. Well, you have to earn my respect. And, and anyway, kind of, you know, back and forth with some of that. And, um, I think that, you know, I realized particularly with him, uh, but I think this is true with a lot of, a lot of kids, uh, that, um, when we, as parents, as they're transitioning through the teenage years into adulthood, we can back away more and let them make more of their own decisions and, it's hard to watch sometimes because you know, as a parent, having lived some life, you know, they're making mistakes sometimes that are, and they're going to be consequences. And uh, I learned to not give advice so much unless I was asked. And it completely flipped our relationship around to where um, instead of me offering advice and then it not landing well, uh, he was reaching out to me and asking me uh, for advice in, in certain situations. And so it just really, the, the relationship improved and, um, we get along great and, and share a lot of, uh, uh, uh things together that we enjoy
0: doing. So, uh, uh, really good, good kid too. Love that. So you said something about triggering. He said you don't get triggered mm-hmm. as much. Tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. that. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I mean, I think, you know, sometimes people will say things um, that, you know, particularly, you know, all of us use social media probably way more than what we should, right? And uh, um, I think, you know, with the advent of social media, um, and nothing like that was around in my youth, but certainly, um, you know, people say things and even in emails, sometimes we can read things into what people say and it's not really what they mean or they didn't say it, you know? And I think we, we can have um, reactions to what they say, as opposed to uh, really thinking about it carefully and responding because you lose a lot in the communication process when you don't have eye to eye contact, when you don't see facial expressions. And uh, so um um but, you know, just overall, you know, something I've learned in working with parents who have a child who's um struggling with a, a an addiction or substance use disorder, whichever term you prefer. Um uh there's a lesson that we that we do. And I, I facilitate a peer support group every Monday night. And it's a volunteer thing that I do for parents that have a child that is addicted. And, uh, one of the lessons is respond, don't react or respond versus react. Mm. And I think that that can apply to a lot of relationships, not just, um, not just our children, but particularly when we're working with a, when we're talking about a parent working with a child who is addicted, because people who are struggling with addiction tend to manipulate and they don't mean to, a lot of times they don't really mean to do that. They're, they're just, they're subconsciously, their mind is trying to figure out how they're going to get that next fix. And, uh, sometimes they, they get irritable and they'll lash out. And, uh, when someone's attacking you or they're putting pressure on you, you know, we have a tendency to react. And, um, if we can just take a minute, and take a deep breath and uh pause for a second, you know, um and try like to that. think about try to think about responding versus reacting, and you get you know the reactions don't get you what you want
0: they don't, don't. they don't they don't serve you well, so you, um you know what I love what you're saying right here, and it reminds me of something just briefly if I could interject um you know i a book that I read many years ago, that it's along these same lines. That was a There was a book called The Power of Positive Parenting. It was written by Glenn Latham. And Glenn Latham, basically, the premise of the book is this, the behaviors are kind of like seeds, and mm. attention is kind of like water. And what happens is, is, when somebody does something we don't like, and we give them a lot of attention, it's like we're watering the, mm. the seeds we don't want to have grow. So, you know, if somebody says something I don't like and I snap back at them, what I did is I just reinforced that behavior, even though I may not have wanted to do it. And so his whole premise was if we can start catching people doing something right. In other words, yeah, when our children are young, when our children are in their formative years, if we can say, wow, your bed, you made it. It looks great. Good job. And so what they the best way that they found to shape human behavior is to catch people doing something right. And when we get triggered, like you said, I love how you phrased it by the way. It was so genius. When we get triggered, mm-hmm. we're basically giving attention. We're we're, we're we're, you know, if we really can not say, look, I'm gonna not water the weeds, so you don't get any attention if you're right. just saying these kind of dumb things. But as soon as you do something right, I'm gonna say, Hey, wow, you did a great job. You made your bed. You look at the effort you're putting into learning this math. Look at the effort you're trying to to help shovel the snow or help me uh, in the garden or whatever it is. Um, Catching kids doing something right. They're hungry for that. Instead of saying, okay, as soon as you do something wrong, you're going to get a ton of dad's attention. And then kids almost unconsciously, they think, well, I get dad's attention or mom's attention when I misbehave. And and even if they mm-hmm. can't consciously say that that's what's happening, sometimes that's what's happening. And so yeah. I like how you said, we've got to respond and not react. And one of the best things I think you can proactively respond is to start keying in and saying, what is my child doing right that I can give him attention for? And I read that book, that book, Power of Positive Parenting, and it changed the way I thought about parenting. It changed the way I thought about relationships. And I thought I've got to start catching doing people's some, people doing something right. So I really love how you said that respond, don't react. I also really liked how you said, you know, that, that verbal language, you know, when we're trying to help our kids so much uh, is lost. If you can't have a real face-to-face conversation with them there, you Mm -hmm. know, they say 90, somebody said 93% of what you're saying is not your actual words. It's your body language. It's your tone of voice. It's how you're holding yourself. Can I maintain eye contact? And so if we can, when we're talking to people, um, or especially our teenagers or, or our t- young children, we can be present with them so we can see the whole, the whole gamut of what they're trying to say. That's important. So thanks for sharing that. Great point. Love that.
1: Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I, I think, you know, communication is so important in all of our relationships. And um, um, what I tell people is to look at it as a practice practice communicating better every day. And, you know, when you practice something, you're going to have times that you're going to mess up and forgive yourself and start practicing again the next day. Wonderful. Um, it's a, um, it, it's just, um, I mm-hmm. uh, mean, it, you know, communication is, is, is just so vital in, in everything that we do. Um, but right. uh you, you know doctors, doctors uh they call it a medical practice, right? <laughs> because you're but, still learning, even though you you've been educated on something we we learn through our experiences as we go
0: that's right. one of the things I love about just the fact that you're here is here you had a, an experience losing your son to a drug impaired wreck, and now you're out here trying to help other parents um not experienced the same pain that you had. In some ways, this pain that you had, this horrible experience has now is, or is becoming right now your superpower to help others. And I, I really admire that. What a great, what a great thing you're doing to try to help other parents, Daryl, with situations like this. I appreciate that you know um
1: it 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 has been healing for me. The speaking has been healing in a lot of ways. There's been a lot of uh, spiritual and personal growth that's come out of it um and and um uh, not just the the speaking, but you know also the um the working with the parents. um I get feedback from the parents, and I get feedback from the people I speak to and i and I, and I love people. And so all of that helps me to become a better person, make me stronger and and helps me to heal from, from that loss. You know, you you never get over uh, losing a child. Um, And, and maybe that's true of other relationships too. I don't want to compare grief. I think that it's all circumstantial that, um, you know, for me, uh, the the grief that I experienced uh, related to the loss of Chase was more intense than the grief of losing my parents. But my parents lived to be um, my mother, eighty seven, my dad, ninety. You know, I had a lot of time with them, awesome. and then you know, they they we could see the decline coming versus you know Chase being so young and just taken away. And, and but that's not to say that someone else who loses a, a parent. Is is not going to be equally as devastated um, as I was by losing Chase. So grief is is um, is one of those things I've learned not to say, "Oh, my grief is worse than yours" or whatever. But for me, it's been very very um, intense, and um, so I, you never get over it. And I think that people that Um, I think sometimes people will say things that they don't really mean or, or say things that can be hurtful to people who are in the grieving process. Like, uh, well, you just need to get over that and move on. Well, you don't get over it, but you can learn how to go on with your life and how to still be happy and productive. And I think giving back and, um, and, and working in, in an area that's related
0: to your loss can, can be healing. Yes. Let me ask you this: What what advice, Daryl, would you give parents of young children to prevent them from using drugs when they're older? What would you hmm. say to parents of young children? Say this is having been through this nightmare. This is what I would advise.
1: You know, prevention is tough because um, uh, children grow up to, they all, they have a mind of their own, right. And we can't control them, but we can do things to put the odds in our favor, you know, for a good outcome. I, I tell parents, um, you know, that find themselves in this situation with a teenager or, or young adult, um, who is addicted to drugs. Like think of it like an arrow, uh, your child has an arrow and you put the arrow on the, on the string, you pull the, the bowstring back. And you pick out that target. And and when I say target, it's a kind of a general target in that you want them to be a well-adjusted, you know, successful adult. And you release that bowstring. And you give them all the tools to do that. When you release that arrow, they're in God's hands now. Um, And the longer you try to hold on to that string, that bowstring, hold on to that arrow, you know, it creates a lot of stress. So you have to learn to let go not only creates a lot of stress, but you're more likely to miss the target because, uh, you're trembling. Now your muscles are getting tired. So I use that a lot with, with those parents, but in terms of parents who are, you know, trying to do things to, um, be proactive, um, and, and prevent that from happening. I would say, number one, spend time with your kids, uh, doing things that they enjoy doing. I did that with both of my kids. So, you know, um, but um, the other things I would say would be, um, you know, if, if I had something that I could have done differently, that might've made a difference, I would say, um, make sure that you communicate with your child in a way that, um, you, they feel comfortable coming to you with problems. So, I have a military background, and um, was you know I'm I'm a very loving, compassionate person, but I also have that that military side to me, you know, and and uh, and uh, so I think I definitely would say that both my boys, but particularly Chase, felt more comfortable going to my wife uh, when he had issues. He didn't feel comfortable going to Dad because Dad was the authoritarian, the disciplinarian figure, you know. So I, if I could have done something different, I would have tried to have communicated with him in a way that would have made him feel more comfortable with, with coming to me. That would be one thing. Um, and I know there's some other things. I uh, I had a thought come to me that just kind of slipped my mind, but maybe it'll come back to me in a minute. But uh, yeah, that's definitely one of the, one of the things I would do.
0: Wonderful. And w- one of the things I, I think we discussed prior to the show, you know, I heard someone say that the best outcomes with um, parents and children, best outcomes with children, happen when parents act as if they're the CEOs of their children's education. In other words, mm-hmm. you know, in in some situations, many people say, "Well, I'm just I'm just going to send my kid off to the nearest school and just hope that things go okay." But if you're a CEO of your children's education, that might mean that you, you can decide to use a different supplier, a different, a different uh, vendor, a different contractor, right? So let's just say that your children's school is having a horrible effect and you can sense that something at that school and maybe you can't put your finger on it is not quite right. And your kids and things are starting to go downhill. Well, as a CEO, you don't have to say, hey, I'm going to continue putting my children in this bad environment where there's some peer pressure going on. You have a right to fire <laughs> That vendor, in my view, which means I might decide to change schools. I might decide to put them in a different public school or, or a charter school or maybe even a private school. Maybe I'll homeschool them. Maybe I'll do something. Maybe I need to get them involved in some sort of extracurricular activity where they can learn to do karate or play the violin or play the piano or something. But but really if you if if parents would take that mindset that like I don't just have to default. To what everybody else is doing, just because everybody in the neighborhood sends their kids to this school, maybe that's not the right thing for my child. Maybe I have a right to say, "I'm going to homeschool you for six months," or "We're going to take a little break and go on a family trip and and learn a new culture for a while, or something." We're going to try a different school. We're going to try and 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 taking that CEO approach. My understanding. Results in better outcomes, and so I don't know if that would be something you were agreeing with. Would you? Would you say that's something that you yeah. would agree yeah. with or no?
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, I don't know why this didn't come to my mind in the, in the beginning or of, of that I mean, when you asked me that question. But um, I can remember in particular a uh, young lady uh, that had been friends with Chase um, uh, when she got married and. And uh, she and her husband had a had a child. She reached out to me on social media and said, um, you know, if, if there's one thing that that you would recommend to me to um, prevent my child from going down this path, what would it be? And I, the first thing out of my mouth was homeschool, you know, because um, and here's what I would say, you know, both of my boys uh, went to public schools. One just graduated from college with a 3.7 GPA as a chemistry major, and he's he's been accepted into several chemistry uh, PhD programs. He's a smart kid, and 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 uh, you know, so he did fine in public schools. That here's the thing uh, with public schools, and and it's not just public schools; it could be private schools too. But um, you know, your your child when they when they attend a school um, outside of the home. They're going to be. They're going to come in contact with other children who uh, were not raised with the same values, or not being raised with the same values that you're raising your child with. Now, a lot of people will make the argument. They will make the argument that, well, um, you know, they're going to. You you shouldn't shelter your children. They're going to come in contact with these things sooner or later. It gives you the the opportunity to address those situations now and talk to them about and have those conversations. Well. There's some validity to that. I would just say that um, I think that their brain, the 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 mind is the brain is not uh, fully developed until about age 25 plus or minus a couple of years. So children are very um, uh, they can be influenced uh, easily, yes. and, and they can be led down the wrong path. and And they need a little uh, shielding, a little guidance, a little protection until their Fair. until their brain is is
0: better developed. I agree with you hundred percent. They need, and I, and I actually think you can shelter your kids. And obviously there comes a point where you have to say, I'm going to let you go into the world. I heard, mm-hmm. I heard it mm-hmm. described like this, you know, if you have a little tree and it's kind of growing crooked, mm. at, at, you could put a little string around that tree and you could kind of stake it down in the ground and just kind of even it out. And it would just take a little kite string, nothing much, just a little string but if you let this if you let the crooked part keep growing, eventually you might have to, I mean if you if you let it go for years and years you might have to get like a a, a tractor or a truck and chains and you might even have to get a chainsaw or some something to try to correct the tree. And I think as our kids are young, sometimes it's just a little string, you know yeah. but as as they grow older it becomes harder because you're right with the, those first years they want to be with us all the time and then there comes a point where we do have to let go and say, I hope that what I've taught has been enough. Right. And, uh, and it, and it doesn't mean we're beating up on ourselves as parents. we all make mistakes as parents. It's just Mm -hmm. saying maybe, maybe as a parent, we take as much time learning how to be a good parent as we do to say, train for our careers in the world, you know, because one is more important than the other. And I think we know which one it is. Right. Right. Um, I appreciate that, that. That's very helpful. Spending time with your kids.
1: You know, addictive. doing what they real. want
0: to do. I love how you said that. Yeah. 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 I think that it, it's easy
1: to um, go, Oh, well, I like to do this. So um, I'm, I like to fish, for example. Uh, so I'm going to take my kids fishing with me and they may grow up learning to enjoy that. And, and that's fine. But if, if say, for instance, they're like, well, I don't really that doesn't do it for me. I would rather be, um, uh, I don't know if I could think of another example. I I like art, I like artwork or I like music or whatever it is, then, Mm -hmm. then you need to adapt to them, not try to force them into what you like to do or what, you know, you would think you might like them to be. Um, but you, you, you know, I did think of one of the other points that that I was going to make earlier. And that's about when you ask me about, you know, things that you can do. Um, to help prevent your kids from going down um, this path of of, uh, drug use Um, and building their confidence, things that you can do to build their confidence. I think Mm. is is very important. Um, Any, any kind of anything that you can put in place. Um, And this is where I would caution parents, be careful about, um, you know, every, every kid's different. And, uh, but I would say, be careful about yelling and screaming at your kid when they do things that, um, you know, maybe you've had a stressful day, maybe you've had a hard day at work or whatever, and you come home and the kids are just running around and they're, they're getting on your nerves, you know, whatever, be careful about raising your voice. And, um, uh, I'm not saying that it's some kids might be fine with that. But some kids are very sensitive, and they may take it personally and internalize it in a way that um, is like, "Well, Dad must not think very highly of me," or um, "You know, I'm a bad kid because Dad yelled at me because of this." You just don't know what's going on internally there, and um, I think if if we can avoid that a little bit, it doesn't mean that you can't set boundaries that they need to have. You obviously need to do that, but, uh, you can do it in a way that is not demeaning or that doesn't make them feel bad, you know, um, try to uplift them every chance you get, um, encourage, um, activities and things that build them up so
0: that they have a good, um, so they're, they're confident people, you know. I like that. Do what they want to do. Kind of mold to their interests a little bit, and then build the confidence in them. And don't yell and scream, man. Right to to every parent.
1: The thing about the confidence building is this: that um, a lot of times, what happens with with um, when, when drug drug experimentation starts is usually in middle school or early high school, and it's the peer pressure usually that gets them started. But if they're confident and they've been taught right from their parents and they they go into that situation, they have a much better chance of resisting the peer pressure. If the peer pressure comes and their confidence level is low and they're feeling like You know, I just don't really fit in anywhere and I'm, I'm, you know, I just don't feel good about myself. Mom
0: and dad are yelling me at home. So I don't really fit in at home and I don't really fit in at school. They need to know they have this solid base at home. That's a strength to them rather than gosh, I don't fit in anywhere because my dad or my mom yells at me when I get home and now I don't fit in at school. I might as well do something to try to avoid all this and forget it. Yeah. So when,
1: when, when a group reaches out to them, then they feel, they feel like, well, I have a place where I belong. And, you know, and, and they're, even though it's, it's a group of people that's experimenting with drugs. And so they get started down that path. And, and some people, there is a genetic component here where some people are more likely to become addicted than others. But then again, it depends on the drugs uh, that we're talking about, because there's so many drugs out there now today that are so powerful that pretty much anybody can become addicted very
0: quickly. But regardless of the the genetic component that I like Mm -hmm. what you said, if maybe parents who have kids beforehand, if they would just have the conversation when they were young and said, you know what, when you get older, there's a good chance people are going to ask you if you want to do these harmful substances, if you're going to want to drink, if you're going to want to smoke and do drugs and all these kinds of things that we know are are not good for our bodies. Let's talk about this. Do you think that you have the confidence to say no when people do this? Like, how do you think you mm-hmm. can react? And you could walk that through and 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 come role play. Like somebody asked you to do drugs. How are you going to react? And they can say, well, I'm going to say no. Do you think you can't even everybody in the room's doing it? Yeah. And, and you can almost play the scenario out beforehand and say, you know what? This is going to happen at some point. I believe that you're, I, I have confidence in you, son, or I have confidence in you, my daughter, that you're going to be strong when these situations happen. And build, and let them know that you have faith in them before they go out into the world and experience it without mom and dad's kind of confidence that you can do this, right?
1: That's a really good point. And um, uh, you know, um, in, in, we're working with Mad Mad uh, um, Mothers Against Drunk Driving has a program called Power of Youth, and uh, one of the things that they do in that um, uh, presentation is. And they're talking to the kids. they're talking to uh, we we like to go in uh, here into the driver's ed classes is how the power of youth program is presented. And one of the things that they address in there is underage drinking. Um, and without going too deep into that, I just want to say that that they um, have realized that if they uh, as parents, what they they sort of um, coach the parents on, is when you have that conversation with the kids is give them ideas for outs. In other words, if somebody comes and says, hey, um, just like you were talking about role playing, but they come up with an out, well, I can't today because I have this going on or I have that going on. Or, you know, if they have several different um, scenarios that they can use when that comes up, that gives them an out where they don't have to just say, no, I don't do that. And maybe they're, they're not strong enough to do that, but if they have an out, like, well, I can't because I've got to do this or I've got to do that. Or, um, you know, uh, one great thing for um, along those same lines that some schools do, and when I, in my opinion, it's a good thing. Some schools require, uh, public schools require, if you're going to participate in a um any extracurricular activity, then you're subject to be, to have a random drug test at any time. Now, there's certain school districts that do that. And here's the thing, a lot of people think, oh, that's terrible because they're invading the privacy and and all of that. But part of that program is if they discover that a kid is using then then they're going to try to find help for them. That's part of the program is to try to to try to intervene in that situation as opposed to punishment. Um and then they they reach out to the parents. But the the here's the thing that why that works is that football players, for instance, and I talked to a dad who who did this very very thing or has experienced this thing. Um, the football players are like they were being approached at the school about, uh, you know, for drug use. And, um, uh, once they had an out, once they could say, well, I'm on the football team and you know, there's a random drug testing. And if I get tested, I'm off the team. I don't want to take that chance. I may have the opportunity to play in college or I, I like playing football, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Now they have an out, uh, that makes it easy for them to say no. So anyway, I just thought I would throw that out there as a thought, you know, and definitely the parents can, can work on, on, in terms of those scenarios coming up with different um, apps to make it easier for the kids to say no, because they're going to struggle somewhat, you know, going with self-esteem because going through uh, puberty and going through the teenage years is tough on most kids.
0: Right. Well, and it comes back to that, you know, starting starting as young as you can to have positive interactions like you said spending mm. time with them mm-hmm. so they know they have a safe place a- avoiding yelling avoiding so that they know mom and dad have confidence in them and then we're catching them doing stuff right all the time so they don't think mm-hmm. man i'm I'm just horrible person maybe i need to go find attention somewhere else they feel secure with mom and dad that, that they they see the good in me they love me and they've they've told me hey you know i'm I, I'm strong enough to say no to these guys. And I'll maybe we've role playing out, like you said, like, you know, you could say, you know, if you're having a hard time getting out of a situation, you can call me and I'll tell them, I'll tell you that you got to come home right now. You know, oh no, my dad needs me to come home. It's not going to work. Um, that's a, that's
1: a really good point in that, you know, if I think back to when I was a teenager, it wasn't the, Oh, when I get home, I'm going to get this severe punishment. If my parents find out that I've been doing this or doing that or using drugs or whatever it is, it was the fear of disappointing them because I knew how much they loved me. And I knew that they wanted me to succeed. And I knew how much they were pouring into my life. I didn't want to let them down. I didn't want to disappoint them. Mm -hmm. So, You know, when people, yeah, I was tempted sometimes to try some things when when I was going through that stage of life. And uh, um, I would, in in the back of my mind, it was going around, man, this is really going to devastate mom and dad if they find out I'm doing this or I did that, you know. So that was the thing for me. It wasn't the fear of punishment. It was the fear of letting down my parents. Right.
0: So letting them know, you know, yeah, interesting.
1: Letting your kids all know all kind of ways that you, let, that you can let yeah, all kind of ways that you can let them know how much you love them, you know, through your actions. You can some people need to hear it. And I know um, you know, my generation, um guys just don't, you know, and parent, uh, obviously or well, really my parents' generation was even more so that way that that people just didn't say I love you that much. You know, they weren't as open about it, but, um, uh, I think it's very important that people need to hear, especially our children. We need to tell them that yeah. we love them. And then we need to show them that we love them and it could be a hug, um,
0: and then spending time with them. Let's go play a board game or let's go play chess or let's go throw the ball or let's go do something together that you want to do. Let's go hike a mountain. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the five so, love languages. <laughs> the five
1: go. love languages this is a
0: great book. Have, have you, have yeah. you, know which
1: one I'm talking? Yeah, it's a really I do, good. Idea which you are talking about. Yeah, that's a great book. Yeah. Just
0: showing the love in the way that's meaningful to them. To them, that's right. Yeah, that's wonderful. So you you brought something up here that I wanted to talk about, and I can shift gears here. So you know, Stephen Covey mm-hmm. did wrote wrote this book about the seven habits of highly effective people, and he basically said mm-hmm. when we focus on things that are not urgent, so not urgent but important. We have less crises later on, which are urgent and important. So, you know, an urgent and important thing is something like, you know, somebody gets hurt, hit by a car, they immediately need to get to the doctor and get surgery or get a bandage or something. That's a crisis. That's urgent and important. And we all want to not have to get to these crises. But the key to that is Mm -hmm. working on things when they're not urgent, but they're still important. So you're saying it's, you know, my kid's six years old. It's not, he's not off hanging out with the wrong kids at six years old. There's not running. He's not doing anything at eight years old. Those are the times where I can have those meaningful conversations and say, Hey, you know what, when you get older, you're going to have somebody experience, you know, ask you if you want to do drugs. These are why we don't do drugs. Can you, and, and do you see why it's so important to, to not do that? And so if I can have those conversations when they're six and seven and eight and nine and 10, before we get into the 13, 14, 15, where we as you say, you kind of lose control, you know, you kind of have more control when they're young and as they get older, it's kind of like letting that arrow go where it's like, well, hope they're flying the right direction. Right. But, um, so there's two kind of things I wanted to ask you about. We've talked about mm-hmm. prevention, which is building that relationship, spending time with them, catching them, doing something right. Listening to them. Don't, you know, being kind and gentle rather than forceful and and d- demanding and yelling, um, let me ask you this. Let's say that some, that for some reason, um, a parent is suspecting that their child is using drugs. They're not certain. So it's now kind of a crisis. What advice would you give to parents who may be suspecting that their child is using drugs, but isn't certain?
1: Step one, go back to respond versus react. There you go. (laughs) Because the the very first thing that happens with almost every parent is they freak out, you know they just they have a reaction to that and and they start you know um just really um lighting in on their on their child and 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 giving them a hard time and asking them questions and so I think you know to just calm yourself down a little bit before you go into the conversation here's the here's the thing that um oftentimes they will lie to you. Um, particularly if they're using drugs. Um, Chase, growing up, he would not tell a lie. I don't care what happened. You know, if, if he thought he was in trouble about something. He would still tell the truth about it. And in about the middle of the 10th grade, I caught him in a couple of lies and it just seemed like it went downhill from there. That's something that goes along with drug abuse. It changes the way your brain is, your brain works, and, and it it um you know, there, there's some shame and some guilt there in there and they just can't deal with it. And so, um, you can't go necessarily on what they tell you. In fact, I would tell you, you can't go on that. And if they're still living in your house and they're a teenager, then you get to set the rules. You're the parent and, uh, it's a dictatorship. <laughs> it's a benevolent dictatorship and you're looking out for their best interest, but it, you're in charge. And so, um, Uh, And and that, that dynamic changes once they turn 18, but until that point um, I would say, you know, if you have to drug test um, then drug test, Uh, but you need to get the answers. Do you need to know, can you go into their room? Absolutely. You can go into their room and search their room and um, do whatever you need to do to verify. Now, I don't like the idea of um, spying, snooping, Looking in on them without their consent, without their without you know knowledge, their knowledge that this going on, you know, to try to sneak around and get information. What I I would rather parents would do would be, first of all, because of this society that we live in today, with with social media and phones and the internet and all that, and information just being so readily available is before your child reaches that age, as they're as they're coming of age and they're going to um, get access to some of those things and you're thinking about giving them, And I would say this with video games too, because video games can be very addictive. I would say that you need a written contract in advance that says, these are the conditions. I'm providing the video game. I'm providing the phone. I'm buying it. I'm paying for it. I'm paying for the service. So here's the contract you get to use it, but only if you, you know, but here are the the terms of the contract. Now read this and sign it. And we'll go through it and read it out loud and sign it at the bottom. And this says that if you break the agreement, if you breach the contract, then you lose the privilege of using that phone or whatever. And part of that, yeah, it's a privilege. Absolutely. And part of that could be, um, look, I have the right at any time to go in and look at your messages. I'd rather not have to do that, but, but, you know, I don't want to do that, but if I suspect that you're using drugs, I may go take a look and see who you're talking to and what you're talking about. You know, if they know that in advance, that's different than sneaking around and looking at what they're doing. So you Same set these terms up in, in Yeah. You set that up in advance and um, right. you know, I was coming into all of that was developing as my kids were growing up. So particularly chase, you know, chase was born in, in 93. Um, so, um, you know, this, the internet and social media wasn't nearly where it is today back then. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, some of those things I didn't think about or it didn't come to my mind until a little bit later. And anyway, Um, yeah definitely um, if once it happens once you suspect that it's going on you have to find ways to get the answers of you know is your suspicion just probably correct if you suspect they're using trust trust
0: your parental instinct
1: absolutely because um, usually it's if you think that it's going on, it's probably been going on for a little while and is probably worse than what you think it is. I'm just going to tell you, that's just the way it is in most of these situations. Um, and and they'll deny it. So you've got to get to the bottom of it, get the truth, and then you can decide what the next steps are in terms of taking
0: the appropriate action. But you, you do need to know the truth. I like that. And as a parent, you have a right to set boundaries out of love. And it's not because, you know, if I tell my child, you can't run out in front of the street, in front of that truck, my child might hate me. Right. but I'm not telling him that because I'm trying to restrict him. It's because I love him and I'm trying to protect him. I like what you said too. You know, we don't give our kids, let's use a car analogy again. You know, I don't just say to my 10 year old, Hey, here's the keys to my car, go drive. Mm
1: -hmm. If my
0: kid's going to learn to drive, he's got to wait till it's the appropriate age. He's got to take driver's ed. He's got to have some time with dad driving around with a learner's permit or whatever that's, you know, whatever it is in that particular jurisdiction. And Mm -hmm. and at some point after he's shown that he's trustworthy and he's has some skill and he has some experience, then you give him a license and say, now you can drive. And the same thing, you know, why would you just give your kid a cell phone, which has access to anything? I mean, we're talking all kinds. I mean, there's some great things you can do with a cell phone. Don't get me wrong. I'm not Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anti-technology. I mean, I love technology. But the fact that I, I would just hand a kid a phone and say, Hey, good luck is you wouldn't hand your kids a 10 year old keys to the car. And I think it's okay to say, you know what? We're going to have some guardrails. And yeah. at some point you yeah. are going to have a phone that I'm not going to be able to check when you're an adult, you're going to have a check maybe even before then. But while you're getting, while we're learning to give you this very powerful device, it, we're going to have a few guardrails. And some of that is going to be that we're going to be able we're going to check in and see what's going on in the phone from time to time. Mm. And it's not yeah. because we hate you. It's because we love you. Right. You may feel restricted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a fence. It's a guardrail that keeps you from going off that's a cliff. Right. And yeah. um, I think that's important for parents to know. I, I really, you know, when when kids are down to the point where they've done, they've had some of these things, the, the real key, in my opinion, is to, is to build, like you were saying, spend time with them when they're young, catch them doing something right. Be the CEO. You know, if you can tell things are going crazy or they're going a little wonky wonky, <laughs> going the wrong direction, change directions. You can change it mm-hmm. early before it gets to be a crisis, right? Like right. the best time to work on things is not when things are blowing up. The best time to think to work on things is when they're calm and they're good. You know, they even say, if you're in a fight, let's just, let me give you an example. Like if you're arguing with your spouse or with your teenager, almost all the time that doesn't happen. But if you can get yourself down to the same level as you would be when you're in a boardroom and you're just coming up with ideas about how to solve a problem at work or how to solve a problem, you know, that boardroom type, calm, let's Mm -hmm. talk it out, let's think it out, let's reason. That's when you're in that low, non-stressed out, anxious way, that's the time to talk to your kids about why we shouldn't do drugs, Mm -hmm. why we shouldn't do certain things, why I'm going to check your cell phone, why we might be switching schools if we need to, or whatever it is, right. Mm-hmm. right. Not, mm-hmm. not waiting till it's a blow up and then trying to yell at each other and scream and get to get through it. And would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and that kind of goes back to what I said earlier in that, you know, every kid's different and chase was very uh, quiet and shy. And so I, I didn't know what was going on, but I knew something was not right. And, um, I didn't know what else to do. I knew he was, he's was ADD, ADHD diagnosed and, um, uh, not in the most severe case, uh, very uh, much lower on the spectrum. But, um, I, I felt like that for him at that point, um, moving, he was, he was starting to fail, uh, one of his classes and, and, and his grades were just dropping. He was developing a, a really a rebellious attitude. And at that point I moved him to a, we talked about it, okay, and and uh, he would tell you that I forced him to move uh, to that to transfer to that uh, to I transferred him to a military school. Um, the way I saw it was, if he had said no, that's not what I want to do. I would have, I really don't want to do that. I would have said, fine, let's not. Well, we'll stay where you are, or we'll find another alternative. But uh, at any rate, I'm. Um, uh, we ended up moving him to get him into a different environment, because I felt like he, the, I felt like that the, the discipline and structured environment would be good for him. And it was, uh, there were some things going on at that particular time at that school that turned out not to be the greatest situation for him to be in. Um, and I didn't see that, you know, going into it, but um, he got his grades up and he graduated. But uh, anyway, um You know, I guess my point here is that I didn't see the problems coming until, boom, they were on me. And I think that's because of him being so quiet. So that's where you really have to be proactive, particularly if you have a kid that is quiet and will not talk to you about things. And and you have to really have your antenna up as a parent. And if you think there's something's not right, then you're probably right. And it's probably worse than you think. And I hate to say that in a way because, you know, the kids are probably like, "Oh my gosh!" Now, you know, my parents are going to suspect if I, I did one thing wrong that is is uh, ten times worse. But you, you almost have to be that way as a parent, um, in in that in that particular phase of parenting, in my opinion, um, because there's so much out there that can go wrong so fast.
0: That's great. Is there anything else you would tell parents right now? parents at all, that you would advice that you would give parents, Daryl. Hmm. You know,
1: don't let a day go by without telling your kids how much you love them and showing them how much you love them because they could be gone. They could be gone in, in the blink of an eye. And, uh, And, um, I hope that no one ever has to, that's listening to this ever has to experience that because that's just devastating, um, for everybody, for the whole family, for the friends, for everybody. Um, but, um, yeah, just, uh, we have a lot of great memories that we built with Chase. And, uh, that's one of the things that keeps us going. And, and we did tell him that we loved him and he knew that he knew that, um, you know, uh, unfortunately <laughs> that arrow is going to leave the, the bowstring sooner or later, uh, mm-hmm. one way or another. And, uh, and, and that arrow, you know, they're, they're, uh, sometimes they're a gust of wind that wind that will kick it off and knock it off course, or it'll hit, hit a low hanging branch or whatever. And it gets thrown off course Or you know, it's, it's an arrow that has a mind of its own. So, um, uh, you know, all you can do is give them the best nurturing environment that you possibly can. Um, and you're going to make some mistakes, but, um, and, and when you do that, you're going to have to forgive yourself and and you're going to have to become aware of your mistakes and be willing to correct them and, and get better as a parent moving forward. Mm-hmm. But, um, but man, um, just love your
0: kid, love on your kids mm-hmm. and, and build those memories. I love that you said that, Daryl, you know, and I think that if your kids know you truly love them Mm. in some ways that can, you know, you can let your kids know I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, but I want you to know, I love you with all my heart and be Mm. brave enough to tell them that all the time. You know, I love that. I heard some, my my grandma actually used to say, she said, you know, no matter the question, love is the answer. And I think you just Mm. embodied that Mm. same kind of feeling like If I can just let my kids know I love them, even if they're doing stupid things. Right. Unconditional love. Uh, love. Yeah. Love, unconditional love in the long mm-hmm. run, in the long run, doesn't fail. And I, That's I appreciate right. you sharing that. Daryl, thank you so much for being on the show. How can people reach out to you, get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you and get from your wisdom, learn from you your wisdom?
1: Uh thank you. Uh uh the family recovery coach.com, the family recovery coach.com is my website. Um, you can go to Facebook and type in, um, parenting addicted children. I have a Facebook group that people can come join if they like, um, I'm on, um, I have a TikTok channel. <laughs> I have a oh, TikTok yeah. Uh, I haven't made any videos lately, but uh but there are a lot of good videos on there about dealing with a child who's uh, addicted and um so anyway, those are uh, the three things that come to my mind right off right off the bat um, but awesome. uh yeah, uh reach out uh, through one of those channels if uh if there's anything that I can do to help you if you, because I know how uh stressful it is for parents that are going through. Through this, it's it's really tough. So, yeah. wow
0: such good advice. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us, Daryl. This is Daryl Rogers, spelled D-A-R-R-Y-L Rogers, R-O-D-G-E-R-S. Correct? Is that right, Daryl? Yeah. Such so an yeah. honor to have you on the show, out making a difference in the world, trying to help people with with a with the problem that's very prevalent today. So, thank you so much again, Daryl, for being on the show. Thank
1: you, Xane. Thanks for having me on.
0: I am so jealous of my wife because she gets the ultimate career. She gets to train and nurture and love our children more than I get to because I have to be doing things like this podcast. Parenting is the ultimate career. If you like what you heard today, please like, subscribe, comment, leave a review. Thank you for listening. You can also check out my book, What I Want My Children to Know Before I Die. It's available on Amazon and other bookstores. Thanks again for listening.